This is Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we unjumble an important and sometimes under the radar statewide issue that affects you. I'm Jake Neer. And I'm Shayna Roth. Today we're talking all about that new line drama. New political lines, that is, and the dilemmas the newly adopted lines are causing politicians and political hopefuls across the state. So typically, as you might know, every two years, incumbents who want another term in Congress or the state legislature run in the same district, of course. Sometimes they have a primary challenger. Sometimes they just coast to a general election against challengers from another party. This year is different. Redistricting means we'll have incumbents running against other incumbents and even some completely open districts where incumbents used to represent those people. Think of it as a as a nerdy version of Mortal Kombat, if you will. <laughs> Good reference, Shane. Appreciate that. <laughs> well, at least this is the case in Michigan's new 11th congressional district, which takes up most of Oakland County from Waterford to Farmington Hills, from Wixom to Troy. Congressman Andy Levin already lives in the district in Bloomfield Township and will run there. Congresswoman Haley Stevens, who now serves more than about 40 percent of those constituents in her current district, is actually moving there to run in the new 11th. So I got a chance to actually talk with both Levin and Stevens recently about all this. Stevens has been pretty vocally critical of Levin's decision to run in the new 11th when, you know, at least theoretically, he could have run in the new 10th district in Macomb County, which includes a lot of his current territory and many of his constituents now. Why have a Democrat on Democratic primary if we have an open seat where, you know, you as Mr. Levin uh, represent 512,000 of those uh, constituents that can run there? But Stevens is the one who is moving in order to run in the 11th district. Levin said these are still his people. And he didn't want to uproot his family to run in the 10th. I just think that it's up to the voters to pick the the elected officials and not the other way around. Nobody is owed a seat in Congress. Um, Nobody deserves anything. You know, we we work hard. We need to work hard and earn the trust of the voters. This could also play out soon on the west side of the state, too. Congressman Fred Upton has not said whether he'll run for reelection yet. But he did just start running some ads that indicate he's at least very serious about considering that option. If that's the case, he'd likely be running against another Republican incumbent, Congressman Bill Heisinga, who has already announced that he's running in the new 4th Congressional District where Upton lives. Meanwhile, the entire state legislature is up for election this year, also with a mix of open seats and incumbents running against incumbents. You can figure out what your new district looks like if you go to michigan.gov micrc. That's the Redistricting Commission's website. And of course, stay tuned to your local public radio station to find out who's actually running in your district. But at the end of the day, it's important to remember that these are untested lines. We can hypothesize all we want about what new districts are good for Democrats, good for Republicans, but we really aren't going to know for sure until November when voters finally head to the polls. Jake, you had a more detailed conversation with Gongwer reporter Ben Solis about all the upheaval and all the drama it's causing on Detroit today, right? 
That's right. You know, we talked about, again, redistricting is creating a sort of unique situation this year. As we've been talking about, we really dive into what the landscape is, how it has changed, and how typical that is for a redistricting year. So here's my conversation with Gongwa reporter Ben Solis on Detroit Today. So uh, first of all, just give us an overview right now about the congressional districts. Who is running at this point in which districts, especially when it comes to sort of the front runners, who are the people getting the most attention in uh, these districts? And what are some of the storylines that you're watching? Certainly. Well, I mean, as you as you had on earlier, the one of the big uh, incumbent fights is uh, Haley Stevens and, and Andy Levin, um, you know, trying to see how that's going to shake out. We also know that uh, Fred Upton is is teasing a run again. We don't really know, but you know his ads seem to appear that he's going to to run. So that will set some things up. You know the congressional map. Um, we lost a seat, so it kind of sets up a pretty even split. But you know we really won't know how that shakes out until uh, some of these elections happen. And I think that's going to be a theme: is that we can make these assumptions, we can see where people are starting to file and, and where they're saying they're going to run, but, you know, the actual outcomes, um, you know, whether these maps are fair and they've, did, they've done what they are supposed to, it's still going to take a couple election cycles just to, to see. And, and let's talk about some of the specific sort of big question marks out there right now. The one that comes to mind, the biggest one for me, is probably the uh, district that Andy Levin decided not to run in, which is the 10th, uh, which is now centered around Macomb County, southern Macomb County. We do have John James, who is running for that seat. Uh, for Republicans, who is getting the most attention. For Democrats right now, seems like it's been uh, difficult to really uh, find kind of what I would call a marquee candidate. Uh, Candidate, someone that lots of people know who already has sort of a base. Uh, and I think that that is one of the considerations that uh, a lot of people are, are seeing after the redistricting process. Um, and, and so that is, is, is interesting to me. Uh, and then on the west side of the state, like you said, uh, Fred Upton uh, teasing with these ads about, you know, is he, is he running? Is he not here on the show? He said that he was waiting for uh, some of these, uh, these, these legal cases to play out before he makes an actual decision. Um, and uh, I, I think it's probably smart, and I, I'm curious if you agree with me, Ben, not to necessarily jump to conclusions when uh, when someone starts running ads, uh, you know, that, that that absolutely means that they're running. Sure, you know, and I guess that's it's, it's to be seen, right? And, and the John James situation, too, I mean, you have um, a candidate, a potential candidate who uh, has gone through a couple of election cycles, obviously has some, some high name recognition, did not win in those contests, but was, you know, building his name recognition across, across the board to be able to do something like this. And uh, I think that's going to be a complication, especially, as you said, you know, if the Democrats don't have a candidate in line, a marquee candidate, someone who can match, you know, John James's um, recognition, it's going to be tough, you know, and it's interesting because these maps do give, uh, you know, the Democrats one of the, the better chances to to make some uh, some ground in the legislature too here in Michigan at least, and um, you know, it's it's going to be tough to see, and it really will come down to who are the candidates, how well are they campaigning, you know, and I think that was one of the goals of this whole process was to you know, create a, a set of districts uh, or at least a map across the board where people would have to go out and actively campaign where things weren't safe. And uh, you really had to, you know, show your mettle uh, if you were going to go out there and win votes. And I think we're going to see that specifically with that John James race, too. Yeah. Uh, you know, we don't have time to go through all specific races in the state legislative seats, of course. we The 
the entire state legislature is going to be up for election this year. But what are some of the interesting highlights or storylines on that level for state for the state legislature that you're watching right now? Certainly. Well, we've done an analysis of some of these these legislative maps with the Senate map and uh, you know the House map. And, and talking about the Senate map, you know, as I mentioned, it gives Dems a, a fighting chance. There's at least 13 seats that we've seen that are like safe or likely Democratic, and uh, 14 that are classified safe or likely Republican. Um, so that provides a much more level playing field for both of the parties to win. Um, you know, they can win the same number of seats, and it's more competitive uh, across the board with a pool. Um, so. You know, Democrats usually need to sweep the competitive seats just to hit 19 and uh, hope that their party wins the governorship again, obviously. Um, So that could break some of the ties. And also, you know, on the House map as well, we looked at it and we see that um, there are at least uh, 31 districts. So there's eight seats that kind of tilt democratically. There's 15 toss-up seats. And there's at least eight seats that, that tilt Republicans. So uh, that's what we're kind of watching here. Uh, obviously, there's the filings and, and, you know, people are starting to run. But again, it all comes down to um, we can make these grand assumptions about how these different, you know, districts are going to play out, depending on who's running and who's not. But we really won't see until this election is over and possibly a few more election cycles go through to see, you know, who really does have a fighting chance in these districts and who does not. It is interesting because usually um, the midterms are usually rough elections for the party in power in Washington, uh, in this case being Democrats. And then you have this other force moving with the re- with redistricting, making a lot more seats competitive. So uh, it seems like this is one of those big questions about what this will actually mean for representation could go in, in a number of different ways, it sounds like. Yeah, it really could, you know, and I think that's one of the, the big fights, too. That's one of the, the first court cases was about, you know, the, the U.S. Voting Rights Act and how well, uh, you know, the commission adhered to that. The idea was is that, you know, um, you know legislators in, in Detroit and Detroit residents and Detroit voters felt that the way that the maps are drawn specifically around them, that, you know, it could um, hinder minority representation, specifically black representation uh, in the legislature and, uh, you know, potentially in the U.S. House as well. Um, so again, that, that is on you know, the top of everybody's mind. Outside of Detroit, you know, I know that some of these rural areas, I don't know if they're necessarily worried about you know, uh, someone from their area or their community not representing them, but their bigger issue was the way that the maps were drawn and, and split up their communities, uh, which were, in their mind, their counties, their townships, you know, these traditional, uh, what, we, what we agreed upon before this uh, commission was created were the the standards for redistricting. So, uh, you know, uh, representation and how that's going to shake out, again, is is the major concern. Uh, And I guess we'll see, you know, as as you probably know, the uh, Michigan Supreme Court threw out that um, Detroit caucus case. Uh, It was Detroit caucus versus the the commission. And that was the the case that I was referencing that was about the Voting Rights Act. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, with the Michigan Supreme Court, you know, kind of going with the commission's mode of thought on how the VRA interacts with their maps, um, you know, that could kind of hinder maybe some more future challenges to, to, you know, to see who's going to represent who in these districts. But uh, again, that that was kind of a a bomb to to some some people who believe that these maps didn't uh, uphold uh, the Voting Rights Act or at least, you know, didn't represent uh, their communities for representation. I'm curious, you know, you were just talking about these court battles around the uh, around these maps. Uh, Update us on the ones that are current. We already talked about the the VRA concerns that were thrown out by the Michigan Supreme Court. Uh, What which ones are still working their way through and what's the status of those? 
Certainly. Well, we have one in, in the U.S. District Courts, and that is um, one that was filed by uh, a group of uh, Republicans across the state, including uh, Republican Representative Bo Lefebvre from Iron Mountain. Um, and their, their concern is primarily to the one-person, one-vote clause, um, and, and it really is, is focused around that. There are some other issues that they've wrapped in, but that seems to be the primary argument, that the, uh, the maps do not have equal population, and those equal population metrics are, are uh, a little, little screwy, so that's what they want uh, to see is fixed. They did provide a remedy map, which is something that the Detroit caucus did not do, um, they provided analysis, but they did not provide like a, a roadmap of saying, if you were to overturn this or you were to, to rule in our favor, uh, here's what we would like to see and give you kind of a guide. Um, so there's at least that there. And, you know, in, that, in that process, um, when you file a registering um, complaint in federal court, it goes before a three-judge panel, which includes a, um, a Sixth Circuit judge and then two uh, district judges here. Um, from Michigan. And so that's how it's going to play out. Three judges are going to hear this case. They're going to hear all our, our oral arguments um, sometime in the next, next few weeks. I believe March 16th is the day that they're going to do that. I could be wrong, but that's what I believe the date is. So soon, so very soon, we'll, we'll have oral arguments there. Um, and, you know, that's, that's it's anyone's guess on how, you know, that's going to rule. The, the Western District where it was filed is, is a much more Republican-friendly uh, district. So, you know, Republicans filing this challenge in a Republican-friendly district kind of bodes well for them. But, you know, as we saw with the Michigan Supreme Court throwing out the Detroit caucus case, you know, kind of eschewing these um, long-held ideas of how the Voting Rights Act actually works, uh, you know, we could see we could see another disappointment for you know, the Republicans who filed that lawsuit there. And then also in state court, um, which would then go again before the Michigan Supreme Court, uh, the League of Women Voters of Michigan and, and several other plaintiffs um, have filed a challenge against the commission, uh, saying that the, uh, the maps, they lean too Republican, and that, you know, bucked the, the essence of the commission trying to draw a balanced or fair map. Um, so we'll see how that shakes out, too. It, it, you know, our analysis does show that some of these maps do lean a little bit more Republican. Uh, some of the open source like data analysis websites show that um, some of these maps lean a little bit more Democrat than what we've analyzed. So, you know, it, it's again going back to how is this going to shake up in the election. Um, I'm not sure that you can necessarily say with, with you know, definite answers, even with data and analysis, um, that these maps are going to shake out the way that they are. So that's, that's the chief concern of the League of Women Voters is that, you know, that despite all the, the painstaking process of trying to make these maps uh, even fair for both parties, their concern is that, they, that the Republicans still have an advantage. And yeah. even if they don't, even if they do lean more Democratic, I've heard from people in the Republican caucus constantly that they still believe that they can win and get out there on their messaging. You know, you mentioned the um, incumbent party usually takes a beating um, in, in elections post a presidential election. Obviously, President Biden is our, is our president, and, um, you know, the Republicans are going to do everything they can to try to flip as much as they can. And the Republicans here, at least in the legislature, uh, believe that they can still hold all that ground. And Ben, I'm just about out of time, but what advice would you give people who aren't sure about their new political districts, what they look like, who's running in those seats? Uh, what should they do? I think they should consume as much news media as they can about this. Um, you know, the, the news media... We're not biased done, here, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely not. I think, I think the news media locally has done a really good job um, covering this, um, especially in Detroit. Uh, there's a lot of information and resources out there. Uh, those maps are available online. You can take mm -hmm. a peek at what they look like. You can kind of compare them to the old maps. All those resources are out there. Um, just educate yourself. 
Ben Solis is a reporter with Gongra, Michigan. He's been covering the redistricting process front to back and continues to do so. You can always check out that coverage at Gongwer if you are a subscriber. Uh, if you want to hear the full conversations, by the way, with Andy Levin and Haley Stevens, you can find those over at WDET.org. And that's all for Mishmash. I'm Shana Roth. And I'm Jake Neer. Thanks for listening. <laughs>